Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. You're on Team Human, Conscious Intervention in the Machine, an opportunity to distinguish between the digital and the organic, symbol systems and living cells, calculated intersections and true solidarity. Here we are, bearing witness with compassion together. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human today, it's me. A new monologue written and delivered from the mild delirium of a COVID infection. It's time to intervene on behalf of humans and all living things. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and we're all on Team Human. I got COVID this week, likely on my way back from Japan. U.S. immigration at JFK was a zoo. And I stood there for nearly an hour, packed against other people, with supposedly expedited global entry privileges. Yes, I gave Homeland Security my retinal scans in perpetuity, and all I have to show for it is a case of this weird virus. And not to be conspiratorial, but this virus is weird novel, as they say. I had decided to follow my good mate Tyson Yunkaportis advice and use the occasion of the infection to listen to what information the virus may have for us. So instead of completely resisting this awful feeling, I laid down in bed and let it just kind of take me over. I just let it spread through me the same way I might surrender to a psychedelic drug if I found out someone had spiked my tea with a few hits of mescaline. But as I let myself feel the essence of this thing move through me, I got the strong sensation that this virus is not right. I've been all sorts of sick before. Bacterial, viral, autoimmune, injury, trauma. But this feels, as the name suggests, novel or, or spiky, 
palpably synthetic. If if the flu could be likened to a vinyl LP and a Colt to a 45 single, COVID is more like an early CD or undersampled MP3 file. It's discontinuous, plastic, alien, not indigenous. And even if this is all in my imagination, some fantasy provoked by a combination of fever and fake news, the metaphor still fits what I believe to be one of our core problematic tendencies right now, which is to substitute abstracted digital metrics for on-the-ground organic and analog sensibilities. We are mistaking the synthetic for the real and doing it across some truly important features of our society. I've been thinking about this really since I was a kid, before anything digital ever entered into the picture. My grandfather, the one we used to call the rich one, went into the textile business. He came to New York from Romania by himself when he was around 12 and sold rags from a street cart for a couple of years when he met a guy who was manufacturing a new synthetic form of silk, what eventually was called rayon. And my grandpa got a bunch and sold the rayon at silk prices. No one noticed the difference. And he earned enough money to open up a shop and eventually bring the rest of his family to the United States. And his his shameful business practice aside, he was only 14 when he foisted the counterfeit fabric, and he assured me that he never mislabeled merchandise after that. But I remember wondering and asking him why people couldn't tell the difference between the real and the synthetic, because they had such, he showed me, they had such really distinctly different properties between the fingers. And he told me that people liked the rayon better. It was kind of smoother. They had no awareness that an artificial fabric was even a possibility, so they concluded it was actually a higher quality form of silk. Today, in our digital media environment, it seems as if the synthetic has also been embraced as superior, universal, and infinitely more scalable than the organic, or at the very least, interchangeable. And this may be a dangerous distinction to miss. I don't just mean that people should listen to analog music instead of MP3s or eat organic potatoes instead of GMOs, although maybe they should, but that we confuse digital phenomena with real life at our own peril. I remember, gosh, it was back in the in the 1990s when my favorite tech enthusiasts thought that the internet would help human beings serve nature. We had all read or at least heard about James Lovelock's book Gaia. 
And the Gaia hypothesis posited that the whole planet was a single living being. And building on that idea, it seemed to many as if the internet would be the network that finally wired up all the human beings into a collective brain. The wires would extend our nervous systems into one another. And I remember being both excited and cynical about this at the same time. I was excited that people were imagining themselves as a collective entity, but cynical that they thought the wires themselves would literally implement this new state of being. I remember trying to bridge the gap in one of my books of the 90s, I think it was Playing the Future, by offering that Perhaps the internet could serve as practice for a more connected form of consciousness to come, that our wires and our bulletin boards kind of created social problems and challenges to privacy that would give us a way to develop and work on the new sensibilities that would eventually be required of us if we ever wanted to truly share our head and heart space together. That the net would be a dry, safe, technical way of practicing and imitating an as yet unrealized ability that was actually innate, organic, and unfolding, some kind of shared consciousness in in our collective future. But instead, we seem to be accepting the internet as a substitute for that more organic connection, that deep down we know we have but can't quite put a metric on. You know, maybe it has something to do with mirror neurons and oxytocin, or what happens in the eye contact between a mother and a baby, or polyvagal theory of Stephen Porges, which suggests that we all kind of share this neurophysiological substrate, or the mycelial networks of mushrooms that connect not just one fungal species to another, but all species in a shared ecology of nutrition, information, and dare we say it, compassion. It's the mushroom networks that taught trees how to grow roots and how to share with their neighbors and coaxed many a human to see life as interconnected and animated by a communal life force or breath, prana or chi. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And anyone who's experienced psilocybin has at least 
suspected that mycelial strands connect us in ways that digital networks never can. I recently did a guided journey with two therapists simply holding space for me as I went through the experience. And I became keenly aware of their nervous systems in the room with me. It was as if the mycelial strands branching through me were extending to them as well. I felt as though I was reaching right up into their nervous systems, and I found out things about them in the process that I simply couldn't have known. I told them later, and it was like an episode of that Long Island Medium show. You know, even the metaphor I used to describe one of them turned out to be the very same metaphor she uses to describe herself to others. But more important, it made it clear to me that there was a very real organic connection between us. I could feel their nervous systems metabolizing my own stuff, my own past traumas and experiences, that they're simply by by being present and bearing witness, they, they could do this for me and with me. It was as if the mushrooms were teaching us how to metabolize things, which is what mushrooms do in the physical world, metabolizing anything carbon. And the experience, it reminded me of my experience sitting with people as they've died. You know, they, they were in comas or past the point of being able to speak or signal anything if they, were, if they were even conscious. But somehow I felt that my presence there, if I was holding their hand or not, but my simply bearing witness was helping in a real way, was kind of helping them process the passage. I felt that just being an extra nervous system or an extra soul present in physical space, that that was a profound service and honor for me at the same time. Nervous systems and mycelial strands, they are different than the net. Digital networks can transmit only data. Things that can be reduced to some ones and zeros, even if they're reconstituted as music or graphics on the other side of the transmission. When we're on Facebook, Twitter, or even Zoom or FaceTime for that matter, the subtle physical nature of our exchanges is lost. The the aura, expecting it to be there, expecting the transmission to contain the essential organic quality of looking into a lover's eyes or holding a child's hand or even just sitting silently in the same room as another person is not just futile, but frustrating. Our online connectivity, it's not characterized by the pranic interplay of minds, bodies, or souls in a shared dimension, but the exchange of dematerialized symbols passing through nodes. This is why the quality of our exchanges tend toward the ideological, the binary, and the differentiating instead of the spiritual, compassionate, or integrating. Worse, these biases migrate into our offline behavior as well. So today, 
we see protests on college campuses reifying the oversimplified dynamics of smartphone apps designed to share dance videos instead of thoughtful analyses of how civilian lives are sacrificed for the sake of cynical regimes, and how these crimes against humanity are then obfuscated through one-sided propaganda. It's easy to inflame one side or the other of an American campus with the rhetoric of genocide, while both sides ignore voices on the ground calling for everyone to stand together and literally begging us to dispense with inflammatory language that makes their job of forging alliances against their leadership harder, not easier. Instead, Fueled by digital rage instead of true organic solidarity, groups dismiss seemingly compromised pleas for a humane response, incapable of hearing the calls to prayer amidst the din of demands for statements of condemnation. Some of my own readers and podcast listeners on both sides of the Middle East conflict have demanded, yes, their word, demanded, I take a clear stand on which side I support. They're either incapable or simply unwilling to consider the greater human context, the cries of peace activists who actually live in the region, or the ways they have themselves been provoked into inflammatory activities that make an end to the violence more remote. The disembodied quality of these interactions, it leaves all of us, at least unconsciously, to yearn for something like grounding. None of us is at home online. There's nowhere to put our feet. We are not natives there or even here in our own colonial diasporic migratory civilization. Don't mess with Texas. That was Mexico just four or five generations ago. Almost none of us has a sense of indigeneity anymore. So we substitute for it with its digital equivalents of rage or victimization. So the MAGA movement and its misguided passion for a claim to blood and soil, it mythologizes an origin of belonging, national identity, racial purity, and ahistorical innocence. As if any of those things existed for anyone. Even the most indigenous peoples on earth came from somewhere to somewhere else. No one is in Eden. These strident demands for place and permanence don't correspond to anything in the natural world of migration, life and death, rising and fallings, changes and impermanence. They are the stuff of symbols and ideologies, not breath and community. Much of the social justice movement has also succumbed to the non-human logic of metrics, substituting for their own missing sense of indigeneity or genuine social connection and local solidarity with the mathematics of intersectionality. Now remember, intersectionality began as a study and acknowledgement of the way that disadvantaging factors can stack up against a person's opportunities. It was a social methodology meant to help us embrace a more complex understanding of human experience in a world with racial, economic, ableist, and gender biases all happening at the same time. But in the context-free landscape of pure data— Intersectionality becomes a mathematical stand-in for identity itself, 
One's place on the spectrum of oppression predetermines their privilege to create new labels for whatever's going on. Human factors, such as the intention of the violator, they don't hold any value and and are reduced to distracting noise against the quantized signal. It's an intellectual practice more characteristic of staunch materialist scientists like Richard Dawkins, because they refuse to acknowledge human motivation or even free will in this this predetermined schema of structural harms by perpetrators against victims. And when we emphasize the artificially quantized, we lose access to the glorious in-between where we all actually live. Gender fluidity, it gets reduced to a list of ever more granular initials defining various shades of queer, as if selected from a Pantone swatch book, each with its own serial number and mix formula, as if one's ongoing experimentation and redefinition were unresolved qualities of sexuality to be extinguished. Instead, we are to accept our social networks, and while we're at it, capitalism's demands for a demographic certainty. That's not a living person's gender. It's a computer's requirement for closure. Now, in a world where we have surrendered our cultural, biological, and spiritual complexity for the rigid and abstracted metrics of ex-Twitter, Facebook, and Fitbit, we lose access to the squishy, indeterminate, and speculative. There's no such thing as a safe space because there's no continuous space at all. There's only the ticks of the clock and none of the duration between them when time actually passes. Like a, a cartographer, we define our location as the intersection of an entirely arbitrary set of latitude and longitude lines rather than the contours of the landscape or patterned waves of the ocean we're navigating. Without ground that we can recognize through our somatic sensibilities, we are untethered from the real and too desperate for orientation to seek anything beyond defined metrics about our bearings. We are flying with instruments alone. Our relative sense of well-being is just a diagnosis code in the DSM-5, and our collective welfare is some combination of the exactly 17 United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Besides, in such a world, only the AIs have the luxury of hallucinating, while we humans are trapped in the synthetic logic of probability and evidentiary certainty. That's because... We are looking to data and numbers and digital networks for the ground, when such calculated answers will always be the figures. The ground is the living soil under our feet. Wherever we are, whoever we are, it's less about ownership or even a claim to originality than it is about stewardship, connection, systems, and patterns. You really have to be there. Too much of the stuff of the digital age is not really here with us, even though it's taking up more of our time, energy, and resources every day. Crypto? It's the most synthetic form of prosperity yet invented, the process by which we quite literally convert the matter of the real world into digital bits. 
mid-journey pictures, financial derivatives, algorithmically targeted posts composed by bots? Do any of these feel real or good or grounded or organic or healthy to anyone? They are at best instrumentalized utility, robbing something from the present to pay for a dangerously post-human future. They may be operating in our world or even replicating to the point of ubiquity, but all of them are kind of like COVID. You can feel their not-quite-rightness, their challenge to our humanity, our sense of place, our experiences of continuity, our subtle connection to each other and everything else, our access to awe. By the time this posts, I'm sure I'll be post-COVID and back in the swing of real life. But I'll remain glad I listened to the code of this virus and what it had to tell me, even if it did feel more like a conversation with ChatGPT. I hope this felt more human to you, even though it came across the interwebs. At least these digital transformations are infection-free. Thanks for being on Team Human. You can get the ad-free version by going to teamhuman.fm and clicking on support or by subscribing to my Substack at rushkoff.substack.com. This show is produced by Joshua Chapdelin and edited by Luke Robert Mason. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you've been on Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.